The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Conquest of Bliss. I am here with Rob Richards, and he is going to tell us all about how yoga had, well, who knows what he's going to tell us because, you know, I'm, (laughs) as always, very casual, but he is going to tell us about yoga and how it's interacted with his life and how it's brought him a lot of peace. So how are you today? I'm fine. Thanks, Kara. Nice to be here with you. I am very glad to have you here with me today. So I wanted to start by asking you a question that's that's often on my mind when I hear about yoga is what is the difference between someone who practices yoga and someone who would be considered a yogi? That, that question alone can probably take up the majority of our time together today. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's, it's a very valid question because people come to yoga for a variety of reasons. Everybody's path will be different. But the thing is, what I kind of came to a conclusion about that question is it all depends on the school of thought that you've been introduced to when you come to yoga. If you've come to yoga for the idea of practicing with your physical body only, then you may be practicing yoga and you'll be reaping the physical benefits. Your body will become flexible and strong. But if you embrace the teachings that are thousands of years old and really explore the inner workings of the body and the mind and the heart, then your chances of becoming a yogi by definition are much better. Okay. Okay. So the yogi has to do with the spiritual side of it. Would you would be considered a yogi? Um, some days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's days, of course, when what I want to do is exercise the body. And there's other days when, and I'm not connected to the breath and I'm not connected to what's going on. And that's just fine. And then there's other days where I use the term, I can drop in and I'm very aware of what the breath is doing. And I'm very aware of what's happening with my organs and my mind. And I feel connected to everything. And on those days, by definition, sure, I guess you could say I'm yogi-like. To say I'm a yogi, that's a bit of a stretch. (laughs) Okay, and and how how is it how is it that you got introduced to yoga? I did read um I did read up on you a little bit, but uh, for my listeners, how is it that you ended up getting into yoga? Um, a, a friend of mine, a neighbor across the street, I'd been complaining to her about the accumulation of physical injuries in my body over years and years of more of a martial artist. Um, career and physically bigger, stronger, faster mentality. And she said, well, why don't you come to a hot class with me? And I said, oh, why not? (laughs) And so my first introduction to yoga was in a 90 minute hot class with a woman who I affectionately call the crippler. And it was just, (laughs) it was beyond my understanding. I mean, I was in good shape. I'd been swimming competitively and about 30 minutes into the practice, I was on the mat and I just, I just didn't get it. And I looked around and I saw all these people who physically appeared to be less strong. 
And I thought, okay, I want to try and understand this. And so for the first few years, I was into the physical practice only. Okay. Um, I actually, my, my dad, of all people, was talking to me the other day, and he said that you are a black belt in karate as well. That, that's a part of my history. I haven't practiced for a long time, long time, but yeah, I, I was really involved for quite a lengthy period of my life. That's, uh, that's very interesting to me because I think of yoga and karate as very, very different. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and yes, they are for sure. One is a martial artist mentality. And what I've come to understand yoga to be is a healing art practice. So for someone like myself, so I'll give you a little bit of my um, history on yoga. Um, for someone like myself, so I do meditate, but every time I've tried to do yoga and I have some health problems and stuff, um, I, I find it very, very challenging to sink into anything because I'm concentrating so hard on trying to not hurt myself. Um, how would you recommend that someone who is, has a lot of struggle, how would you recommend someone get into yoga if they're interested in the practice, both for the spiritual and physical side, but really, really struggle to access the spiritual side because they're focusing so hard on the, the physical side. Okay, that, that's an absolutely beautiful question. And to access this spiritual component that you're talking about is a process. We'd like to think yeah. that and it is, unfortunately, a lot of people would like to drop into a yoga class and go, yeah, I want to be an enlightened being. I want to have this presence of peace and love and compassion that just resonates through my body. Well, there's a lot of stuff we have to look at and sift through prior to being able to connect with that, let alone hold it in our bodies for any length of time. So when... This is my suggestion only, okay? And there's lots of paths for different people to take. Absolutely. And I find that for people who are curious with the question you've just asked, a gentle practice is a great way to introduce yourselves. And by gentle, I mean something like a yin practice. And if you don't know what yin is, okay. yin is a practice where you drop into a pose and they're very, very subtle. They're not meant to be these knots that you tie your body into. They're meant to put a little bit, and I don't like to use the word stress, a little bit of stretch into the body to the point where it's like, okay, that's enough. And then the idea is to connect with your breath, to connect with the body, to allow it to feel that sensation before taking it any further, find the breath. That's the clue. Always find the breath because the breath will calm the mind. And once the mind is calm, it kind of allows the muscle to release itself a little bit more. And as it releases, you can open the body a bit further, find the breath again. And instead of having this really stretch like aggressive feeling in the body, it becomes something that's very gentle and it allows the muscle to extend instead of contracting. Okay, that that makes sense. See, and it's it's interesting because I, I kind of do that, but it's not it's not officially yoga with stretching. So I feel like I understand 
what you're referencing because I'll try to breathe into the non-yoga. Like there's not, they're not specific poses, stretches that I do. So I feel like I can relate to that. So where would someone find that? Because I feel like there's an overload of options when it comes to yoga. And it's very, very hard to determine what, like where to go. And there's a lot of different schools of thought over, you know, how strict you need to be or how, how gentle you can be and stuff like that. Um, and it can be very overloading for people. I know that I'm not the only person who wonders how to get started because it seems like a really, really big beast of a thing to even, even get started, even know where to start. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense. And it's part, it's indicative of the society and culture that we live in. Initially, when you decided back thousands of years ago that you wanted to practice yoga, you would go to a teacher, a teacher who would embrace you as the student. And before you even remotely talked about doing any poses and postures, there was some education that was involved on how to treat the body, how to treat other people, how to treat your thought life, all those kind of things. And it was based on relationship. Here in Canada and in North, North America, you drop into a yoga studio, there's 20, 30 other students there, you blast through a class. And then if the teacher has time and isn't teaching in 15 minutes, you might have the opportunity to speak to that person briefly and say thank you. That wasn't the way yoga was taught. And you know, when you ask me, where does someone start? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. All I do know is that if you don't start, there's no progress and no process moving forward. And the practice has failures in it, you know, like people are going to fail. They're going to have moments when it's like, oh man, this doesn't make any sense at all. And then the next day it'll be like, wow, this is just amazing. And the thing is about us, we want to hold on to that. This is amazing kind of experience. And yoga is not just about that either. You remember I mentioned that we have to sift through some of these things to get to that connection point. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That's a part of the practice. We have these conditioned beliefs and behaviors that are clinging to us since we've been really, really young. And some of those are fear-based, some are anger-based, some are shame-based. Until we're willing to look at those as closely as we want to look at that, wow, that was a beautiful practice part. We're not getting the balance that yoga suggests we need to feel, to feel yoga. Do you know what yoga means, the actual word? I would love to know. I don't actually know what the word means. Okay. Sanskrit is a language that kind of you can get a definition through English. It means yoke, union, connection. And those words, as soon as I say them to you, probably have some kind of image that comes up. But it's not just that image. It's so much more. Yoga is connection to our physical body, connection to our breath body, connection to our emotional body, the one that most people don't really want to explore, and then connection to our energetic mm -hmm. body, and then finally that place of connection that these old scriptures that the Hindu yogis wrote suggest is accessible to us. Not only is it accessible, 
It's in each one of us from birth. We just have to remember how to get to it, and that's the sifting through process that yoga provides. Okay, that you know that's really beautiful, um, and I find like when I when I look at your posts, and I I mean maybe it sounds a little bit silly, but I just love the posts that you post, <laughs> and it sounds it sounds a lot like um, like a lot of the stuff that I've had to you know um, start trying to learn in other ways, and it's it's very messy and and challenging and there's not I think I think what's what's beautiful about what you're describing is it gives you it gives you a coming back point a center point a grounding point as you're sifting through all that messy ugly humanity that we all have inside of us um the trauma and the pain and the anger and the sadness um would you would you agree with that I mean that's what it looks like from the outside looking in is that at least it gives you somewhere to come back to and a, a, a place to, to start from, um, you know, each time we have to start the process over again. That's exactly it. And if, if we choose not to do that, we, they use a beautiful word in yoga. It's called dukkha. D-U-K-A. Dukkha. D-U-K-K-H-A. And it means suffering. And it doesn't mean like, oh, my God, I'm going through all this stuff. It means that there's a sense inside of us that's always not satisfied. And you can go to a yoga class after yoga class after yoga class and work your body and still not feel that sense of satisfaction. You said the word grounded. That sense of groundedness that we can navigate through life in a way that creates a little bit more peace, not only within ourselves, but also for those people around us. I can't help but think right now, you know, as we go through this really bizarre time in the world, that people all worldwide are beginning to understand that they are not their job, they are not their name, they are not their physical body or their relationships, that there's something more inside of them that now they know that even going back, they're not going to be fulfilled. And that's what happened to me through a bunch of circumstances as I came to a place where like, you know what? This might look good on the outside to everybody else who knows me, but man, I am not fulfilled. I am restless. I am not satisfied and at peace with who I am. Yeah, I, uh, I think that that is a, a very astute observation uh, like a really, really good way to describe the shift that we're seeing. I think that I think that everyone's seeing the shift, but not everyone really can put their finger on what it is. And I think that that's, um, like I said, very astute because we are seeing a restlessness that comes with, you know, all the things that that we have prioritized, especially in the more um, Western kind of cultures we've prioritized money, we've prioritized looking good, we've prioritized our career, like what type of job we have. And I mean, I felt the same thing. I was, you know, I was kind of forced out of working. And so I started this process a while ago, as far as the realizing, oh, <laughs> sucks to define yourself by a job when you can no longer do that job, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's really interesting and it definitely gives me a different way of looking at the shifts that I'm seeing because I've seen the shifts and I've not really been able to place 
what I think is happening. It, it, it's really, it's really interesting to watch. And it really makes me curious because I hear people say, and this is a quote, you know, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Well, what does that even mean now? <laughs> you know, what does that even mean now? What is it going to look like? And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's a very different place. And people either can see this, and I can feel myself doing it some days too, where I'm just kind of riding the day out. I'm just letting the time, putting time in until this clears up. I don't know if that's the best attitude. I think it's an opportunity. I, uh, I, I, Go ahead. I was, I was just thinking the same thing. Sorry. Go ahead. And you know, and maybe some people are going to miss it. And that would be a sad thing with all this time on our hands. It's just a beautiful time to really take a close look at what we feel and believe about ourselves. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I totally, I totally agree that it is a golden opportunity and that we have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like on the other side. And I think that everyone is waiting with bated breath, thinking, okay, when, you know, restrictions are lifted or whatever, it's going to be normal again. But I agree. I don't think that, I think that there's going to be a new normal that no one can predict. And it's, it's very interesting. And I think one of the things that's happening, one of the reasons that people are, sort of more likely to miss that opportunity is it's amazing how many people go through, you know, I mean, in a lifetime is obviously different depending on who you are and your circumstances, but go through huge chunks of their lifetime without ever needing or feeling the need to examine what's going on in their minds and in their spirits and even in their bodies. So I think what's happening is a lot of people are put in this position and they don't even know what to do with it. They don't even realize that there's anything to examine because they've they've gone through life never it's never even been suggested to them. And and you know this is this is where we go back to that whole idea of yoga and yogi. And you know I'm going to make a statement here that this is a great time for people to explore yoga, as I talked about it with the teacher and investigation, that kind of aspect. If people just believe that they're going to go to a yoga studio and find that, I don't think that's going to happen. It's rare. One of the classes that I have been fortunate enough to teach is a meditation class at the studio, and it's one of the least attended. Maybe really? that will maybe that will change. You know, maybe will people will find it within themselves to go, "Wow, what did I find during this time by myself?" I'm really curious. What tools do I need to continue that exploration on my own? Well, there's so many, and yet they aren't represented very well in the yoga culture right now because, as you said, people are fixated on the body beautiful, the strength, the ripped abs, you know, all that stuff. It's even used in the promotional literature and on Yoga Studio Facebook feeds. It's just, it's not real. Yeah, that's not the uh, not the purpose. And, and I mean, that's one of the things that I I always feel a little sad about when I when I think about yoga is that it's there's so many like like I again, obviously, I don't know as much about yoga as, as someone like you. But, you know, I, I, I understand that it's a spiritual practice and that it's thousands of years old. And I've seen a lot of commercialization of it and, you know, packaging it neatly to give to people. And so many people have 
you know, just completely like there's people who've practiced yoga for like a decade and never, never had a spiritual experience connected to it. And I find that, I find that really sad in some ways. It's been co-opted by, by the culture that we live in instead of embraced for what it is. I missed part of what you said there, Kara. You kind of cut out for about just through the middle portion. So I didn't get the whole content of your question. Oh, okay. I, I just said that I, I feel a little bit sad when I think about such a beautiful spiritual practice having been co-opted by commercialization and capitalism. And it's, it's not something that I, I really know how, you know, could be addressed even. I just, I've just noticed that myself. And it's one of the things that makes it scary too, um, for someone who doesn't know how the practice works is, is you don't want, you don't want to be taken advantage of, yeah. you know, when you go to a studio and stuff like that. And so it gets a little bit, uh, I think not scary seems like too strong of a word, but anxiety inducing perhaps, um, to not know what, like, like, I mean, I, I, I know yoga teachers who do it for the physical. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with the physical aspect. I just think that it's, it's just incomplete. It's very incomplete. It can lead to the completion because I feel that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talked about, these things that we need to sift through, our bodies have a great memory and they store some of these imprints physically. And as people open their bodies through yoga practices, they can have great surges of emotional release and traumatic release. And if the teacher is wise, they will understand what happened and help them walk through that. I don't know if everybody's that wise. And, you know, as a trauma survivor, and you know the story, I've had teachers mm -hmm. actually come up and touch me without asking. And that is super overwhelming and intimidating. There needs to be a great yeah, deal that, more. That... Yeah. I think we're lacking... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Kara. <laughs> I'm, th this is something I'm really passionate about because I've seen such great results in my personal life. And it's hard for me not to say, look, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. I don't really know. I have my experience and I know what I see work with other people with like experiences. And yoga is a beautiful tool to heal. It truly is. It can make people feel whole. It can make people feel in love with themselves again. We have so many people unhappy with who they are. Yoga is a great way and to come into connection with your body, connection with your emotions and find some acceptance just for who you are. Yeah, that's that's really a beautiful thing. And, and it's actually one of the things that I really admire about you in the conversations that we've had. So just for uh, listeners reference, um, I've known uh, Rob for a very, very long time, but we've only recently reconnected. So, uh, yeah. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about our conversations is that you tell, you tell me and then on, um, the, your posts and stuff, you, you don't make it hidden that this is what works for you, but I don't see you pushing people or pushing people away by, 
the, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but I mean, you see it in a lot of other spiritual practices where people say, this is the only way to go. And if you're not doing this, then you're wrong. And, and I really appreciate that element of it where it's, it's, uh, it's conversion through example, not conversion is probably the wrong word, but like, you know, it's, it's bringing people to it through example of being a happy and peaceful and loving human being instead of using shame tactics or pushing things down people's throats. And I really appreciate that just so much. Thank you. Can I share with you a little uh, bit about what, what that means to me? Yes. I, I believe strongly that when people are attracted to something on their own, there's a greater response when they react to a promotion, when they feel they're obligated to do something other than when they feel initiated on their own is a huge difference. So when people are attracted, and you know what, I, I'm not trying to push any doctrine, but the, you know, the person, Jesus, when he went out, people followed him. He didn't say, come on, everybody, follow me. I've got this message you absolutely need to hear. He walked up and people followed him. And I've always been curious, okay, what was different about that man? What did he carry with him other than information? that people found so appealing. And it was that energetic response that he carried with yeah, him. I, it was that love and compassion that were real as a human being. And I've met people like that who as teachers, I now honor just because of that alone. I may not agree with everything, that, everything they suggest to me, but I'm attracted to them because they carry a genuine, authentic love and compassion about themselves. And I'm attracted to that. I want to know how they got to that place. Why do you feel so comfortable in your own skin? How did you get there? <laughs> right? How did you get to that place? I want to know how. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's funny because um, I, I also don't, uh, not big on proselytizing um, any, any particular um, doctrine either. But I often look to Jesus and ask those same questions. And, you know, what, what was it that brought people to him? And when, like, cause I, I consider myself, I don't know, Christian adjacent. I mean, obviously, you know, that I was raised in the church and everything, and I don't necessarily subscribe to a lot of the views that other Christians hold. But one thing that I do think is that Jesus had something right. And that he, he was, you know, I always call it passive, you know, um, because all he did was just love the world around him and love himself. And it attracted people to him, like you said. And, uh, and I just think it's a really, really beautiful thing. I haven't had the opportunity to meet that many people like that. Um, although there are, are a few. And like I said, I've, I've been watching the way that you handle your beliefs. And I just think it's really, really beautiful. And it reminds me, it reminds me of that. And it shows it to me, it's a light because you see so many people trying to push this view or that view or this view or that view. And it just causes so much tension and angst and upset. And then nobody walks away feeling any different. They just feel angrier. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. they think they're, they're just, just as right, just more angry now. And so it's, uh, it's really cool to see that. Um, another note that I wanted to make that I think is interesting. And I just wonder if you agree um, or not. And, and maybe you don't know, because of course this is, unplanned as all of my podcasts are. Um, so. I have no idea what I'm going to say. Um, 
one of the things that I have noticed um, as far as uh, philosophies similar to, to yoga and stuff like that is that I think that the modern world, um, psychiatry in specific, is, is starting to slowly catch up but they're framing things a little bit differently. But things like mindfulness, like mindfulness, I think, is a practice that comes from uh, one of the Eastern philosophies. I'm not sure which. Um, and, you know, a lot of the trauma healing and stuff like that, that I, I've been, I see a therapist regularly. And a lot of the stuff that he says are things that I've already heard from Eastern philosophies. And I just wonder what, what you think about that. Is that something that you're noticing as well? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And the more I read and the more I study um, the connection that the yogis had with the layers of intellect and ego and trauma and storage of information was so profound 2000 years ago. And they understood how to walk through these um, ideas that now psychiatrists and psychotherapists understand intellectually. They, they can see it. But I think the yogis had a better understanding of how to help people feel these things. Whereas in the West, and this has been my experience as well, that the practice typically, and I say typically because I don't know all the treaters, is to sedate and control the experience. Um, medicate, help the person to not feel it. Whereas the yogis in their presence and mindfulness, invite these things. They say, well, what is that? What is it that you're feeling? Where do you feel it? Now, as you feel it, hold on to that sensation. Bring your mind and your awareness, not just your ego and intellect. Your mind and your awareness are two different things. And look at it. And hold on to it. And embrace it and love it. And I've seen in my own physical body through that simple practice, ailments that I thought I was going to live with through the rest of my life physically dissolve. And that's the word I choose to use, dissolve. They're just not there anymore. But it takes... Oh, I think that's a, a great word to use. It's very descriptive. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's what it felt like. And see that idea of feeling is counter to what we're taught. Don't feel that. Don't feel angry. And yet the opposite is true. What do we feel about love? We feel love. So feel angry once in a while. It's never going to go away. <laughs> They're always present. <laughs> They're always present at the same time. And that's what the yogis understood that psychotherapists are now seeing as well. That where there's anger, there's love. The two exist right beside each other. Abso absolutely. Yeah. I would say the opposite of love is apathy. <laughs> well, true. And you know what? There's, a, there's lists that you can find in different modalities that really, really give a really apt description of what some of these opposites that are present in us all the time are. It's being able to feel them and welcome them at the same time and not push them away or down inside of us. Let them show themselves. And honestly, like, I think even if someone doesn't pick up the practice of yoga specifically, I think that what you're saying rings true for every human being where we are full of emotions and we're taught 
I mean, we're taught an awful lot of things about emotions that are inaccurate. And the one, the one that I think that I was taught most strongly when I was young was that emotion made you weak and stupid. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't said quite as directly as that, but it was, it was heavily implied in my life that, you know, if you were someone who, and of course, I don't know if you remember, but I'm an incredibly theatrical, dramatic, emotional human being. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just who I am. Um, and so I really, really struggled with that for a long time. And it wasn't until I realized that emotions have huge value. Emotions are, our, I, I believe, our subconscious or our spiritual side's way of communicating to our physical beings. It's how they tell us, hey, there's something going on that's bigger that you apparently aren't aware of, so here, feel sad for a while. Um, and uh, I mean, that, maybe that's a reductive way of explaining it, but that's kind of how I in that's how I interact with my emotions now. But for the longest time, if I cried, and I promise you, I cried a lot anyways, um, it would just be shrouded in shame and feelings of, of being too weak or not enough. And now, like, <laughs> it makes people uncomfortable because, like, I could be having a conversation with them and all of a sudden I'm crying and then the next second I'm laughing. But there's something so magical about allowing ourselves to feel those feelings. And and I think that it's it's so interesting that this knowledge has been around, like you said, for thousands of years, and yet it's still not what I would call common knowledge. No, it's not. And even as we talk and, you know, you share your experiences with emotions, I can't help but think, and now where do you start with this? Like you said earlier, where do you start with the yoga practice? Where do you start with this stuff as well? You know, how, how do we come to a place worldwide where we can say, yeah, we have to change that thinking that's been ingrained so deeply and it's a safe place for people to be to express and feel all of their emotions. Do you think we have the support to allow people to do that yet? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I mean, I <laughs> I've put myself into a bit of a bubble where, you know, people are always complaining Facebook is full of negativity. Well, like my Facebook is full of positivity. <laughs> and so I'm in this bit of uh, an optimistic bubble where I feel like I have so many people that I see trying to make these shifts and trying to help other people make these shifts that I'm like, yeah, it's totally doable. But I realized through talking to people that haven't created a, you know, kind of a safe space on the internet for themselves. Um, and, and they're just constantly expressing the opposite to me that they don't feel that there's hope and they don't feel like there's a way for the world to heal. And so I realize that while my experience says, yeah, there's totally room for the world to heal and there's totally an avenue for that, I realize that that's not the experience of most people. So I don't really know the answer because, of course, my biases tell me that, of course, like, of course I'm right. But <laughs> Lord knows that experience tells me that I am often wrong. So, <laughs> well, so I don't know. I like your bubble better. I like the idea that somehow the world can heal, that somehow, little by little, with people who are regrouping and becoming stronger in their own practices, that slowly but surely there's going to be more people who believe in magic, believe in mystery, believe in mysticism, and carry something really powerful with them back out into this world. And they're not afraid to let it really resonate. 
One of the things I was always afraid of is that I was afraid to turn my volume up too loud in case I was seen by too many people. I didn't want to be seen. I don't think people would understand. You know, I didn't think they'd get it. And now I just don't care for the right reasons. It's not as if I'm trying to promote. It's not as if I'm trying to show off anything. I think there's a need for it. And that's a big difference. And the response is also different. But I have to be very aware of what's going on around me in, other, in order to let that volume go that high at times. I don't think that I have ever resonated with something <laughs> as much as, as everything you just said. Uh, I spent most of my life trying to turn my volume down, trying to take up less emotional space, trying not to be seen. And even now, you know, I am sort of starting to promote this podcast, for example. The reason for this podcast is exactly what we're talking about. If, if someone wants it, I'm just trying to get as much information about about finding happiness out there as possible and people can choose what works for them, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking with this whole thing is, okay, be loud, show that I've done it. I've come through a lot of stuff and I'm generally pretty happy. I'm still sad sometimes, but generally pretty happy. And that's what I'm trying to do. And like just getting myself to, to post it even is so challenging because that instinct to hide, that instinct to not be seen is so strong. But there's so much value there. There's so much value in just showing people you're allowed to be you. See, you know what? the People have this fear about of public speaking, right? It's not this fear that's based on um, just the speaking. What we're afraid of is the judgment that people are going to have for us as we demonstrate our personal power. As you take ownership of this podcast and you allow it to flow through you in a creative way because we judge people <laughs> we feel that other people are going to judge us we feel that we're going to be judged for what we say how we hold ourselves how we speak the message we communicate the liberation and the freedom we get to experience is just letting the creativity flow through us it doesn't matter what the judgment is it's going to happen anyway so we just have to believe that that creative spark, that connection that I'm talking about, the yoga connection that's in every person that's going to hear this, gets nurtured, gets cultivated in its own uniqueness in each person, and then just blossoms. That's how we're going to heal. When people come back to a place where they feel they can be their own unique self, not based on anybody else's expectations and guidelines. Let go and just be yourself and let it go, man. That's the freedom. <laughs> That's the healing. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that, that, that is a perfect, a perfect way to say it is that's where the freedom is. And it's amazing. It's amazing how our society is considered to be a free society in a lot of ways. And yet, even though we're not held captive in a physical way, we are held captive through these, these ideologies that are so pervasive throughout our society that all run the same narrative. And that is, you are never going to be enough. Who you are isn't enough. Conform. <laughs> you know? So, um, it is uh, about 40 minutes here. So I just wanted to ask, do you have anything else you'd like to add before, uh, before I let you go? 
There's lots I'd like to add, but I'll honor the 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, I, I don't mind at all. And just so you're aware, you are always welcome to come back because this has been a great conversation and I just have so much respect for you. You, you let um, me know. And even if I didn't, I mean, I still like you, but I mean, I respect as well as liking you as a human. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. I'm, I'm glad we reconnected. And it's been a long time. I was trying to figure out. It's been like 30 years. So oh. I, I would hope that there's another opportunity to do, if nothing else, just a chat at some point in time. I look forward to that um, in general. And like I said, if there's, you know, if there's anything that you you have on your heart that you want to speak now or at another time, that is always fine. And for now, um, yeah, like I said, if there's anything that you want to add, go ahead. And if not, I'll close out. My, my listeners are used to me being awkward like this, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the closing that's almost always the most difficult. It's the saying goodbye and see you later kind of stuff that is, is harder than the, the conversation. But I think I said what I really wanted to say in that last little run. Um, I just believe, you know, so strongly that there is hope. You know, I think that people can find it within themselves to be more than they really think they are, that there's so much deeper, um, that, that the vast majority of people have had some kind of guideline and boundary placed on them that they would like to see dropped. And they can find that if they're really curious and their intention is to find it. They just have to quiet their mind, become a little more receptive to some internal voice, you know, that speaks about peace and love and not listen so deeply to the lies that they're told, like you just said. But that's it. Absolutely. And I'm going to um, just quickly remind everyone of something else that you said early on, and that's that regardless of, I mean, well, you didn't say this part, but regardless of, of what your journey looks like there are always going to be times that it's hard and there are going to be times that it feels like maybe you should give up and if you give up for a little bit you know give yourself some grace but it's worth it to get back on the horse and to keep trying to find it because otherwise what are we doing you know if we're not searching we're just existing exactly and that's so boring. i know that that's paraphrased but no that's so boring so boring just existing <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you everyone for listening and hopefully we get an opportunity to hear from Rob again. And for now, I just hope that you all have a wonderful day.